0: Hello and welcome to CID's Speaker Series podcast. This week,
1: CID student ambassador Avila Latif will be interviewing Dr. Yasuzuki Sawada, chief economist at the Asian Development Bank. Dr. Sawada will be talking about the economic prospects for Asia and its pressing infrastructure needs in order to keep a long term sustainable growth.
0: Hello, and welcome, Dr. Sawada. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Your talk at the Center for International Development at Harvard University today is titled Asian Development Bank's 2017 Economic Forecast for Asia and the Pacific. To put our listeners into context, could you very briefly touch upon the highlights of the latest economic forecast for Asia and the Pacific?
1: Yes, uh, thank you very much. Growth prospects uh, for developing Asia are looking up uh, right now. Growth start by a revival in world trade and strong momentum in People's Republic of China. The region is forecast to expand by 5.9% in 2017 and 5.8% in 2018.
0: The Asian Development Bank is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Could you share a few words about the significant transformation the Asia-Pacific region has undergone in the past 50 years?
1: Yes, uh, 50 years ago in Asia, looking back, uh, poverty, famine, and lack of food security were the main concern, but thanks to green revolution in agriculture, and also a large-scale structural transformation from agriculture-based economy into a non-agriculture economy, uh, notably uh, manufacturing, uh, labor-intensive manufacturing sector-based economy, Asia has been moving out of poverty by continuous economic growth. For 12% of global GDP in early 1960s, now uh, GDP size of Asian Pacific region is one-third of global GDP today. Uh, Asia's uh, invi- viable economic growth has been consistent and robust. Uh, Now, more than 60% of global growth is generated by Asia and Pacific region, and uh, it's safe to say Asia is a global engine of uh, world economy. And uh, also, greater wealth has brought social progress. Uh, For example, a newborn baby today in Asia and Pacific will live on average 25 years longer than her counterpart in 1960. So uh, this is the big transformative uh, progress we observe in the last 50 years of Asia past week.
0: That's interesting. We learned from the Asian Development Outlook 2017 update revised since April that growth prospects for developing Asia are looking good, owing to revival in world trade and strong momentum in the People's Republic of China. How can countries in developing Asia take advantage of these favorable prospects?
1: so basically you know uh, uh, export is uh, one of the most important factors of uh, growth of asia pacific economies Uh, world trade uh, global trade expansion as well as uh, a positive spillover arising from uh, expanded chinese uh, growth through uh, international production network and linkages that's very important so if China grow and the global uh, economy expand, then uh, definitely Asia uh, Pacific region as a whole uh, will grow. According to one of the, our uh, study, one percent Chinese growth change will generate one third percent or so uh, Asian economies growth. So this positive spillover uh, basically uh, founded on production interlinkages through uh, trade uh, network.
0: Thank you. Very briefly, what are some of the key implications of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet normalization for Asia?
1: So some sudden changes in U.S. Uh, uh, you know, balance sheet normalization could induce potentially large-scale uh, capital outflow from developing Asia. But uh, uh, I think uh, uh, quantitative easing wind, uh, winding and balance sheet normalization does not come as a shock this time uh, because the Fed has been very clear, cautious, gradual and well communicated to the market. So I think uh, this time, this balance sheet normalization process won't make uh, any unexpected shocks to uh, Asian economies. And uh, this is quite contrasting, I think, uh, to the episode of Taper tantrum in uh, May, June 2013.
0: The Asian Development Outlook 2017 update also tells us that Asia's infrastructure needs exceed traditional funding sources by about 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars, and that there are about 17 trillion U.S. dollars in untapped private funds available for investment. One way to bridge this gap is through public-private partnerships, or PPPs in short. For the benefit of our listeners, could you briefly explain the concept of PPPs?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, PPP is um, basically defined as a long-term contract between a private entity, private company, and a government entity uh, for providing a public asset or services through infrastructure construction and infrastructure service provision, uh, in which a private party bears significant uh, risk and management responsibility and uh, remuneration is linked to performance. So this is the uh, uh, little bit abstract uh, definition, but this is the definition of PPP.
0: Um, so could you also give us an example of an instance in which a public-private partnership worked particularly well?
1: So I, I think one uh, notable example is a hydropower project in low PDR. Uh, this is called the Nam, NAMTUN-2. Uh, Uh, hydropower project. Uh, This is uh, quite successful because excellent planning and appropriate risk sharing between government and private sector ended up generating a huge amount of revenues that flow flowing back to the Lao PDR. And uh, with that uh, money, Lao government can invest in uh, education for districts and uh, rural roads, enhancement of public health projects, rural electrification and environmental protection. So uh, namtun 2 hydropower project is a successful uh, case. And uh, this uh, project has been done by uh, a so-called uh, BOT scheme, Built operate, Transfer scheme, which is a uh, really a dominant model of PPP in Asia Pacific region. And uh, under this uh, BOT scheme, uh, private sector and government uh, closely worked uh, together to generate the positive uh, returns overall.
0: My last question to you. Of the five sub-regions of Central Asia, East Asia, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and the Pacific, which regions do you see the highest investing potential in for private public-private partnerships in the coming years? In other words, where is the biggest need? Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, so this is very important uh, question. Uh, in general, PPPs in Asia, we can see a long-term uh, trend uh, over the twenty-five years. Uh, number of PPPs uh, increased by four times, uh, but uh, there has been a imbalanced distribution of PPP across different economies and different sectors. Uh, according to our data, uh, PPP transactions are heavily concentrated in East and South Asia, uh, and also dominated by energy and transport potential sector. But now uh, Southeast Asia is gaining ground and increasing trend uh, because 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars uh, per year infrastructure investment needs. Southeast Asia, uh, because its growing region, has a big share out of 1.7 trillion dollars. So I think PPP is uh, gaining ground in Southeast Asia.
0: Dr. Sawada, Thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us today. It's been an honor. Thank you. We wish you the best in your endeavors. Thank you very much for having me today.
1: Thank you.
0: If you want to learn more about CID and our
1: events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.